Lord for all these things. Let's stand, if, you, if you're able, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11 is my text. The joyful gospel and God's will. How do you know God's will? Is it possible to know God's will? Can you know what he has for you? Well, that's the focus of this morning's uh, preaching and teaching from this text. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. What a blessed text this is. For God is my witness, Apostle Paul says to the Philippi church, how I long for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless into the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is his reading. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love to gather your people. You love to bring people together to sing your praises. You are, you are worthy, as we just sang. You are due that praise. You alone are sinless and perfect in perfection. You alone can draw us into eternal relationship. We acknowledge those things, Lord. And yet, Lord, you are very mindful of us. And you desire a relationship with us. You want us to know your will. And so, Lord, we pray that today we would dig deep into your word and to know you, Lord, and to understand what you have for each and every one of us, Lord. From the, the oldest of the elderly in here to the youngest, Lord, we desire to know your will. And we pray that you would help us see that today. Father, we think of those who could not be here for whatever reason, illnesses, or, or just not strong enough to come out, Lord. I was reminded of a dear couple, Lord, that wrote a note this week asking for prayers they can't come to church anymore, but are watching now. So we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen those families and couples. <coughs> Lord, we thank you that we could gather and give to you and, and be a part of a, a fellowship here that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, Lord, hear the word as we preach it to glorify you and to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I blew my voice on the singing. <coughs> we'll try to get through this. Over the last couple of weeks, as I began preparing for the next sermon, I started into Mark, as I said, and realized, wow, what a missions passage. And, and so my thought went a different direction. And there's a couple of reasons why I went to the text today, and I wanted to just share that in a way of introduction. One is, I think it's extremely important to pursue the will of God. Would you agree with that statement? But what is the will of God, and how, how, do you, how do you find that out? I think what struck Gene and I um, uh, most as we traveled this, this last couple of weeks, we spent a tremendous amount of time with families and friends. We were in our hometown where we grew up in, um, and just having conversation with people. One of the predominant questions that kept coming back to us is, Scott, how did, how did you know it was God's will for you to move to Florida, of all places? Uh, how, how, how come there? How, how did you ascertain? How did you feel and know that you were in the center of God's will when you made that decision? And so as we converse back and forth, and some of the things that God just brought to mind as I rehearsed uh, that process and, and studied the scriptures were so encouraging to them. And so that's one reason that led me to this. Another one was uh, I was reading a, a book on preaching, and it just captured me of the greatness of God. And when you spend time studying the greatness of God, it, it causes you to want to tell people that he's great. That's one of the things why we read, why you, why you study. You should see the greatness of God every time you open your Bible. And if you're like me, when you see something great, you want to tell somebody about it. And so uh, that combination has led to the sermon, even, even yesterday, I read an article, I was reading an article to Gina that I'd recently read, and it was on a simple space voyage, and, and it just captured me. Uh, in 1977, do you know this, we shot Voyager 2 out to deep space? 1977. I mean, it's like they may have eight tracks up there. That, that's how old this ship is. Do you know how far away it is now? 
it's 11 billion miles away from Earth right now, still transmitting on those eight tracks or whatever they're using up there. It's still traveling. What's fascinating about it is the article went on to tell us that it'll take another, listen to this, 40,000 years to reach the next star. Does that not grab you of the immensity of God? The Bible tells us that he holds the universe in his hands. (laughs) He spoke that into existence. I mean, the immensity of what we live in here, this little planet Earth, (laughs) this little teeny, teeny planet among the vastness of the universe. God put man there with a plan to make him his there for his forever family. Think about that. It, it, it It blows my mind. One other thought that was in the article, there was a, there's a star it's the largest star known as called V.Y. Canis Majoritius. It's over 2,000 times the size of our sun. If we were near it, it would envelop not only our sun, but all the planets, including Earth. That's how large this is. That's, that's God. That's, that's the, the massive immensity of God who has all that in his hands. And then, of course, my mind was led to Psalms 8. There David, without the Hubble, you know, without Voyager 2, looking up into the sky, saying this, listen to this verse, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you ordained, what is man that you are mindful of? David looked, and it's not a, it's not a question, it's, it's really rhetorical, that, Lord, I am blown away at the fact that you have such a vast creation. He did not understand, you know, V, Canis, Majority, you know, star out there. He just saw, wow, there's a bright. He looked into the heavens and said, oh, God, you're mindful of us. So let me put this introduction all together. This great God has a will, and he wants to reveal it to us. That's astounding. That's astounding. He holds this massive universe in his hands, and yet he desires his children, those who truly know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, to know his will and to live our lives according to it. That's an amazing God. He is not some deistic God that's out there that cannot be known, that kind of spun things and let it go, and hopefully the top will just keep turning for a while. He is a God that is interested in everything about you. And he wants you interested in him. And so that's what got me thinking about understanding God's will. Let me jump into this passage and give you just a few thoughts here. A, the joy of the gospel that produces Christ-like affections. There's a reason why we want to start with verse A, and, and verse 9 is really the key, understanding real knowledge and all discernment, trying to understand the will of God is because verse 8 lets you into uh, Paul's desires and his affections that he have. And and without true affections for God, you'll never know his will. Jonathan Edwards wrote a great pamphlet, a great, really a book to us, on affections. It was a great read. You should read it someday. And he wrote it because he saw in his own heart his affections going for other things. He saw within the church that it's easy for Christians to put their affections towards something else and not be deeply in love with the God who saved us. It's easy to get there, isn't it? Just think about the things, the affections that stole your heart this week. Maybe it was a person. Uh, Maybe it was lust of some sort or some kind of evil that grabbed your affections See, God wants our affections, and notice in verse 8 how Paul speaks, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with an affection of Christ Jesus. What an, what an amazing statement. It's, it's smack dab into this beautiful statement of, of a participation that the church has with the gospel. Notice as we look back in verse 7, he says, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. 
Oh, that resonates with me. And then I, I haven't been in this part since both imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you were partakers of grace with me. So Paul says, what he says is right for me to have these heartfelt emotions for you because we're in partnership with the gospel. So this is easily understood when you, when you love people who you're partnering with the gospel with. So as Gina and I returned back last week, we had the great opportunity to be in our, our church from Hollister where our son Caleb and his wife Izzy um, are there and members there and serve on the worship team. And so it was so fun to be back there because we spent a lot of years partnering with the gospel with them and the emotion just flowed out of us and all the people as we walked into the, to the worship center and such joy was there because we partnered together. Hard things, worked hard on marriage, worked hard on sharing the gospel, worked hard on, on standing for truth in difficult times. There was such joy there. And then I, I returned here and I'm opening up all these Christmas cards that you all sent us and many of our pastors got them. And card after card thanked us for sharing the gospel, for preaching the word of God. Do you see that partnership that brings us into that affections? He said, well, Scott, you're just, you know, you're too emotional. Am I that way? I'm not that way. I'm emotional because you and I get to serve Jesus Christ together. That's pretty cool. And when you think about what God has done, he's commissioned us as Riverbend Community Church to participate in this greatest message the world can ever know, and he called us to do it together. And so when I'm away from you, all I do is think about you, <laughs> how I can get back, and, and what can we do next to partner together? Look at verse 5. He says, in the view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. As soon as my boots hit the ground, and I do wear boots, um, I knew there was a participation in the gospel here. It's one of the reasons we believe it was God's will to lead us here. You were excited about the gospel. You were excited about the scriptures. You wanted to be taught. You wanted to be discipled. You wanted to grow and go. See, that participation is part of understanding what God's will for your life is. Verse 6, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ. God's at work in his children. And you say, well, I don't feel like it some days. Listen, brother, sister, bend your knee to him. Because this truth doesn't change according to your feelings. If he started a salvific process within your life where he brought you to Christ and now grows you in the knowledge and the grace and the conformity of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's in this. And this is the joy that he has of bringing us to perfection as we step into the, the heaven of Christ. Verse 7, it's right for me to think this way. And so one of the ways of knowing that Jesus Christ has called us into a gospel community is you really do love each other. Just before I left, um, a newer family that's been here for just a little while came up and said, we've never been to a church where we've been loved on so immediately. You want to make a pastor feel well? Tell him that. Not just to tickle our ears in some way, but what it tells me is, and I know we're not a perfect church, and if you're here visiting, we, we, we're, not, we're, we're safe sinners, so we're working on following Christ more and more. But what it tells me is that there, it's happening. There's people participating in the gospel, because when you love the gospel, you love people. You accept them, and you begin to care for them and love on them. And so the joy of the gospel starts to produce produce Christ-likeness. The reason I keep going to the joy of the gospel because I think the gospel's full of joy. And I think the book of Philippians was written about the joy giver, and so it's connected to the gospel. And so when you deal with the gospel, there's great joy that comes in our life. So, accordingly, if you don't have any joy in your life right now, what are you missing? The gospel. See, the gospel produces joy within our lives. Now, second thought, here's where we really want to do our digging here today. The joy of the gospel that leads us to the will of God. Look at verse 9 with me. Paul says this, I pray 
that your love may abound still more and more. This is like Paul, right? He says in 1 Thessalonians, to excel more and more. He, he, he does not want us sitting still, right? I think people have said, Scott, you just keep going. You got the next thing going. Yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> oh, you know, we've all arrived here at Riverbend. We're just waiting for the return of Christ. What a terrible thought. We have not arrived. We're going to continue to grow. And Paul says to the church of Philippi, which was one of the better churches in the first century, he says, I pray that your love may still abound more and more. And notice what it is in real knowledge and all discernment. Well, what is he trying to discern? Discerning God's will. What does God have? Now notice Paul here shares his prayer life with us. Paul's prayers are filled with deep longing for the church of Philippi, particularly here in this text, to grow spiritually and understand God's will. Now, one of the most important things that leadership does for the church is pray for them. I know that we never gather as leadership, whether it's elders or church staff, whatever it is, that we don't pray for the church. We personally pray for the church. We love praying for the church. It's one of the things God's called us to do. And Paul says, for, for this is my prayer. This is what I pray. And, and this is exactly what we pray for, that you grow in true knowledge and discernment, always coming to the gospel, always coming back to that truth that everything is rooted in, that we believe in. Now, this is not new. I just want to show you that this is how Paul's uh, way he teaches. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me, verse 16. Ephesians 1, he's always talking about us growing in the understanding of God, knowing Him, thus understanding His will for our lives. Let me show you a few of these, and then we'll look at some real practical ways to understand the will of God. Look at verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and the love for all the saints. Notice we, he keeps that theme, right? Deep love for one another. It's one of the reasons you know they got the gospel right is you love one another. You put up with one another, right? Just think about the diversity of this group of riverbenders. We are so diverse. You have a California cowboy as your pastor. I mean, God has to do that kind of stuff, right? I mean, he just puts us together. It's the love of the gospel that binds our hearts together, isn't it? So he says, look, I've heard about this faith that you have that exists among you and your love for one another, right? Verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you. He's always praising the Lord for them, making mentions of you in my prayers. Now look at this, what he's praying about. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I.e., he wants you to know God's will. He wants you to understand who he is, what he has for you. It's extremely important to that. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What a statement. Not just the mind. Oh yeah, I know God. He, in the beginning, God created and he sent his son. But is it in the heart? He's praying that you understand that from the heart that it becomes part of you. It pumps through you. And then our hands begin to work. And so he says, that your heart may be lightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? Look at chapter 3 with me. Just turn over a page or two, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Here he is praying again. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the Father of all, right? Everything comes from him. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. There's that, that heart again, right? Verse 17, so you, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you may be rooted and grounded in love, being able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. There it is again, this desire for you to know God, to be filled with him. And then one more text, just go by Philippians and go to the book of Colossians, just to the right of Philippians. Look at Colossians chapter 1. 
I just want you to see how often Paul speaks this way about us knowing God and knowing and understanding what he has for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, again, in the knowledge of God. So God desires for you to know him, to know his will. So many times I have people in my office that I can't count how many times, Pastor, I just want to know what the will of God is for my life. Well, let me give you nine things, just real quick, let me give you a statement and a verse to write down behind each one of these, that, that how we ascertain the will of God. Now, none of them are going to be, you know, take ten steps here, turn right, and find X. Um, that's not what's in the Bible. But they are personal, spiritual uh, divinely given truths to help us understand God's will. God, God is not doing a nut and shell game with you, right? Well, nice try. He doesn't do that. His goal, he desires for you to know, and often it's our desires of the things of the world become greater than the things of God, and thus we struggle to find what he has for us. So here are nine ways uh, to understand God's will. Number one, Joyfully preach the gospel to yourself every day. Joyfully preach the gospel to yourself every day. Let me read you a verse. We don't have time to turn to all these, but you can jot them down. Galatians chapter 1, 3 through 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this phrase. Who gave himself, Christ, for our sins so that we might be rescued from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom glory forevermore. Think about this. The reason I put this down was joyfully preach the gospel to yourself. It can be a poor habit of ours that we may in our prayer time before a meal say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Bless us food. Amen. Let's eat. There is no greater joy than knowing you have been rescued from eternal death. There's nothing greater than that. And so Paul opens the book of Galatians and he says, Who gave himself. There is a point in history where Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, dressed himself in humanity so he could die for our sins, so he could rescue us. The present evil of this day. Do you know the present evil of this day's desire is to drag your soul to hell? That is the goal of sin, Satan, and death. And Jesus Christ came. And, and men and women, boys and girls, who forget, at times we forget to joyfully say, Lord, I want to thank you for rescuing my soul. If we are not grateful for that, how will we ever ascertain the will of God? Let me give you a little exercise I often do in the mornings. First thought, when I'm conscious, sometimes I'm horizontal, sometimes I'm already up. <laughs> Lord, I want to thank you that you saved my soul. You did not have to do that. You, would, you could have been just leaving me where I was. Lord, I want to thank you. You know, the reason I put joyful on here is because how do you talk to the Lord about that without joy? Lord, thanks for saving my wretched soul. Amen. I mean, it just doesn't fly, does it? I mean, it lacks gratitude, it lacks joy. Just let me put this in context. Forever I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven. And never will my sins ever be accounted to me, ever. He looks at me as he looks at his own son. He accounts me as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Whoa! That's pretty joyful, isn't it? I get nothing what I actually deserved. That's joyful gospel. Joy that Jesus could change my eternal destination. That he chose me from the foundations of the world. How, why, I do not know. 
but he did it for his glory and for my good. And I praise him for those things. You want to know the will of God? Joyfully preach the gospel to yourself every day. You want to to know what he wants you to do in retirement? Who to marry? Where to spend your money? How to live your life? Joyfully preach the gospel to yourself. He will not hide his will from those who rejoice in his gospel. Number two, flee from immorality and pursue Christ-likeness. Flee immorality and pursue Christ-likeness. Let me take you to 1 Thessalonians. I want to show you a text here on this one. I think this is very key to understanding the will of God. Many people say, oh God, what do you have for me while they continue to live in sin? One of sin's goals, listen to me now, is to blind you. That's what sin does. Blinds me from the will of God. Blinds me from understanding. Sin will blind you. And, and so Paul addresses this. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It's right in the statement, the will of God. It's right in the verse here. For this is the will of God. Anytime you see that in your Bible, you should probably circle that. <laughs> right? You should probably say, huh, I think the Bible's going to tell me what the will of God is. You don't have to go to seminary to figure that out. He says, for this is the will of God. What does it say? Your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful passion like the pagans or Gentiles do who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Now think about this. You want to know God's will, but you're playing around with sin. God says his will for our life is sanctification. Now here, the word hagias means, means to set apart. Now, at salvation, he justifies us, declares us righteous, and he also sets us apart. But there is an understanding of what we would refer to progressive sanctification, that God grows us in this life as a Christian more into the image of Christ. We don't become more justified. We are totally justified at salvation, declared righteous, ready for heaven. But in this life, while we are on this earth, while we reside with Christ, we are to grow more like him. As you grow more like him, he shows you his will for your life. Now, what stalls that out? One of those things is immorality. And so he says, look, the will of God is your sanctification, your growth to perfect you, to bring you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, to transform you from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And one of the things that halts that is sexual immorality. It's... it's it's, and you go, well, Scott, I, I'm not doing anything. Well, this is where the Lord wants our mind and our hearts, right? And so often when I meet with people, they're struggling with immoral, impure things while they're trying to meet, find the will of God. And so God wants us to turn from those things. David struggled at times with things. And he said in Psalms 139, 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Then he says this in verse 24, And see if there's any hurtful or wicked way in me. What a prayer to pray every once in a while. Lord, I want to know your will. One of the ways that we come to the understanding of God's will is we turn from sin. That's a different path that God has, set, has not set you on. You go down that path, it'll be very, very confusing of what God has for you. You will not see what he has for you. The second one goes along with us. Number, excuse me, the third one goes along. Be quick to repent and strive for reconciliation. Third, be quick to repent and strive for reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret. God's will is for us to repent. 
to repent without re- regret. We, we need to be quick to repent. Look, um, my mentor, who you'll meet in here in a, a month or so, I remember where I was standing, what time of day it was when he told me this phrase. He said, Scott, you will sin. Even as a pastor, you will sin. But how long will you stay in it? And then he challenged me, will you have short accounts? Will you repent quickly? Will you gain reconciliation quickly because you repent it? He said, that's the key to your ministry. And I thought, wasn't the key to my ministry of going to seminary and knowing Greek and Hebrew and, and how to handle the Bible and all that? Oh, those are, those are important. But you take a pastor who's immoral, boy, you've got major problems. Repent. Brothers and sisters, the key to knowing the will of God is to live right with Him. Short accounts. You and I will fall into sin. Our minds will go where they should not go from time to time. But how long will we let them go there? How long will it take us to realize that that is why Christ died? That sin, that thought, that action that may take place is what hung Jesus on the cross. See, the gospel brings you back to repentance. Let me just go a little bit farther with this. I believe this. Repentance and forgiveness equal reconciliation. You want to know God's will? Reconcile with people. Now, you say, Scott, I've forgiven somebody, but they don't, they don't repent. What do you have? You have a so-so relationship, right? It doesn't ever turn out to what it should be, huh? Because maybe you've forgiven that person, but they haven't repented. Or, or the other side, let's go the other way. Maybe you repent it, but that person would not forgive you. And so your relationship isn't close, is it? It's like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. No deep relationship. I, I want to I say this. To understand God's will is that our goal is both repentance and forgiven to gain reconciliation, to gain restoration. That's the goal. And one of the things is you pursue God's will is to look into your life and say, God, are there people, are there persons that I am not reconciled with? And here's what I would say, do your part. <laughs> because all of us probably have relationships that we have done our part. We maybe we've forgiven someone, but they haven't repented. And so Paul says, look, if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And one of the reasons we find that so many people don't understand the will of God is because they have harbored sin against someone. They, they have not pursued reconciliation. They have not pursued repentance. Or maybe they've sinned against that person and they haven't gone and said, I have sinned. Will you forgive me? Or, or maybe they just are, are hard-hearted and won't forgive someone who did something to them. You know, you'll never find God's will without repentance and forgiveness. And I understand that sometimes we don't, on this side of heaven, may not see where someone says, you know what, I'm sorry. And that reunion is made. I, I, there's, there's relationships in my life that I long for that to take place. But have you forgiven? Have you repented? Until that happens, it's very difficult to find God's will. Number four, practice humility and stand for what is right. Look at First Peter with me. First Peter 2, 13 through 15. Practice humility and stand for what is right. See, if you're here looking for a wish list of doing six things in order to understand how to win the lottery, you came to the wrong service. That's somewhere else. What it is about is our spiritual life, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ to understand. Look at verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether a king as one in authority or governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. That'd be cops, uh, uh, army, navy, all that, uh, all of our uh, enforcements that we have. And praise those who do what's right. Verse 15. Look a little farther than me. For such is the will of God. See, one of the ways that we learn to understand what God's will is, is to submit to those in authority over us. As we described to many people why we believe God landed us in Florida was because of years of submission to God's men in our life. 
Um, and I don't know if I've ever shared this story with all of you. Um, for most of my ministry career, it started at 19 years old. I submitted to an older man in my life. And every time they said, Scott, we want you to go here and help with this church plant or go here and work with this youth or, or whatever it may be. In our entire ministry for many, many years, we just submitted gladly to what God had. He put men in our life and we said, God, whatever you have, we're going to follow. We're going to go and we're going to take that through that man. And God led us and we've, we've had beautiful ministry. In this last couple of weeks, we got to go and see our first church plant. And we'll have to show you a picture of that. We stood in front of it, a little white steepled church built in 1863 on a pile of rocks. It's still there because a man sent us there. Jerry sent us there. And said, go plant that church. And we did that for many, many years. And, and submission to those who God puts in your life is a key. Submit to your elders. The Bible tells you to do those things. For this is the will of God. And then there came a time when Grace Bible was ready, its elders were ready, and we, were, we knew that God had sent us there to help them in a very difficult time that God was going to send us. And so the first time we said, God, all the years that we've submitted to you where you sent us, we thank you for that. But now you sent us. You tell us where to go. And that start started our look for where God had. We, we stumbled a little bit. We said, we'll go anywhere. And then we kind of drew a line by the Great Divide, you know, like Colorado West. <laughs> that didn't work out really good. We watched the Lord kind of discipline us for that. And then we said, okay, Lord. We said anywhere. And he sent us here. He sent us here to be at Riverbend, to be with you, to love and to practice humility and stand for what is right. Just real quick, verse 15, I don't have the time to, to, to divulge all of this verse, but it says, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is God's will to stand with what's right. Stand for what is right. I, I, I told the pastor, the teaching pastor at, at our last church, we met afterwards, or finally ever cleared out, I just got a few minutes with him. His name's Pastor John. Sweet man, loves the congregation, loves the word. And he said, this is hard, isn't it? And I said, it's hard unless we compromise. Church is hard when you don't compromise. And I reminded him, I said, John, Pastor John, don't compromise. It's not your church. It's Jesus's. And so it's always hard. It's difficult. People come and go and they do hurtful things because you won't compromise. You're not mean, you're mean. You just say, no, no, this is what the Bible told me. I'm sorry, I can't tickle your ears. I gotta tell you what the Bible says. That's what you have to do. And so practice humility and stand for what is right. What a neat combination that is. Humbly doing what is right. Five, learn a life of worship. Wanna know God's will? Learn to worship. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, you know these verses. Therefore, I urge you, plead with you, beg you, is the Greek word, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's the gospel, it was merciful to us, that's the, that's the urging, that's the, uh, the, the pressure, right? According to the, not because Paul's saying it, but because God was merciful, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. Present what God has given to you as an act of worship. Be, be the grain offering. <laughs> be, be the first fruits. Be the offering to God. It's very Old Testament terms here, right? Offer yourself to God. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, don't conform, verse 2, to the, to the things of this world. But be transformed by renewing of your mind. Study the word of God so you may prove what God's will is. That's what the verse says. You want to know God's will is? Don't conform to the world. The world hates you. The world rejects anything and everything of the Lord Jesus Christ outside. Well, he's a good guy and maybe a martyr. They don't believe in salvation through Christ alone. But we do. And so we conform our minds according to the scriptures. We let the gospel drive our growth and they drive our service. Why do you serve? Everything from a foot washing that we do on Saturdays um, down the hall to, to preaching in this pulpit and everything in between of it. Why do we do it? Are we trying to store up brownie points and maybe God will like us and he'll do something good for us? That's not the motivation. The motivation is the gospel. He took a wretch and made him a son. That's, that's, that's the motivation. Six, Discipleship or disobedience. 
You want to understand God's will? Be discipled. Think about this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus is risen from the dead. These are some of the first words that he speaks publicly. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, who gave it to him? His father did. And it's complete. All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. That's everywhere. And listen to what the one who has all authority says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You want to know God's will? Be discipled. I think the church has failed in this. The church, American church. Um, as we go around and we talk to pastors, Tom Sheehan has keyed me in on this. As we talk to pastors, one of the things that we always hear, we ask the question, hey, what do you wish you did better in your church? Every time it's discipleship. We get them saved by God's grace. You know, they come in the building, they, they give, they, they go to some classes. But we fail to disciple people so often. And you know, some of you are going, Scott, you've got growing in Christ. You have, you know, partners going now. You've got DTP1, DTP2. You've got seminary going. Absolutely. Because of this verse right here. Go make disciples. If you read a little farther, it says, teaching them all that I commanded you. See, we should never, never stop discipling. You want to know God's will for your life? Be discipled. Get in the word. Or, if you've been discipled, disciple somebody else. That's the reason here. It helps you understand God's will. I tell you, if you get into a discipleship program like Partners or DCPs or Growing in Christ, I promise you God will start to show you his will. Because as you go, grow and know him better in a deeper way, he'll start showing you what he has for you. It captures you. And he'll be with you to the end of the age. Well, discipleship isn't just growing in Christ classes and DTP and partners and all that, but it's devoting yourself daily to the word. Do you spend time reading the most infallible thing on the planet? Or do you spend more time with Fox News? Like Fox News, but can't save my soul. Can't conform me to the image of Christ. See, be devoted to the Word of God. Read it. Read it. It's a pleasure to read. Start a new reading program. Don't, don't keep track of the calendar. Just get one and start reading through the Bible. Or read through Proverbs, one, uh, one proverb every day for 31 days. Read the Gospels. Work your way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find something. Read it. Be devoted to the Word of God. He'll show you His will. Learn to pray continuously. Paul said pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. You go, well, what is it? We walk around with your eyes closed? No. It simply means that your conversation with God is just one thought away at any time. And you could be driving to go, oh God, I meant to talk to you about this. You, at any time, you could be brought into the presence of God and speak with him. That's what Paul meant that way. Do you have that kind of relationship? See, be discipled. Learn to pray continually with God. Place yourself under the preaching and teaching of the word at every possible time. When the doors of the church are open, when a Bible study is available to you, go if you can. Make it a priority. Oh Lord, teach me. Teach me from the word of God as others that maybe know a little more than I. Let me sit underneath them and learn from them. Memorize scripture. Why? Well, what are you hiding in your heart? Psalm 119 verse 11 says that we are to store up, to treasure the word of God in our hearts so we might not sin against God. Anybody tired of sinning against God? I sure am. I hate when I sin against God. He's the one who saved my soul. The Bible says, hide God's word in your heart so you don't do it anymore. Amen? Isn't that what it says? So, so this is, you want to know the will of God? Hide God's word in your heart. That's where it comes from. See, this isn't rocket science. This is the truth from God's word. Seven, I've got to hurry. Conform to God's giving nature. Conform to God's giving nature. Well, Scott, why'd you write this one? Well, because I think we're takers most of the time. I think we take a lot. God's a giver. So, Jesus is a gift from God. God gave us his son. He gave us salvation. He gives us eternal life. It just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? God has a giving nature. His children should have a giving nature to them. 
do you give? This is what God's called us to do. Be, give, have a giving nature about us. Eight, gratefulness and contentment lead to God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, you want to know God's will? And you're not grateful or content with what he has given you? Hmm, it's going to be difficult. Wife, children, family, cars, um, finances, health. Ooh, that's a big one, isn't it? God, I'm content with what you chose to do in my body. Mm, it's a hard one. Got a dear sister going for cancer surgery this week in this church. It's hard, isn't it? Paul says, give thanks for everything. Mm. Got to bite the lip a little bit there, isn't it? See, finding God's will is based in our contentment with the giver of his will. He gives. We receive from that. Are you content with what God has given you? And look, it's something you got to work on every day. Is that not true? Our relationships, our finances, I mean, just go down the line, our health, our, our way of life, whatever it may be. It's so easy to look across the fence at the Joneses or whoever, and, and yet am I content? This is what God gave me. This is who God gave me. This is what God gave me. I give thanks for those things. Another prayer you can tack on right behind that prayer in the morning when you wake up and say, Lord, thank you for saving this wretch, rescuing me from the eternal hell, flames of hell. Thank you for that. You can say, and thank you for all these things in my life. And you might have to say, my marriage is really rocky right now. I'm really struggling with it. But you can say, Lord, thank you for her. Thank you for him. Help me be content with that person. Not to put up with sin, but we must deal with sin. But yet, Lord, help me be content with all that you've done. Last comes right along with this. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer, listen to this, according to the will of God. Ooh. God's in our suffering. Listen to this. Here's the answer. Shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. We suffer spiritually sometimes, suffer attacks when you stand for what's right, you stand for the gospel, you stand for his church, whatever, you get attacked. You stand for what's right in your family against maybe a situation that's going on and that you can't join in in some way, you're going to be attacked. But you trust yourself to the one who judges righteously. And you do it with humility and you say, oh God, this is a difficult situation. Help me do what's right. Help me stand even though I'm going to suffer. I'm going to trust myself to you. Finally, let's look back at Philippians chapter 1 and we'll just close out with these last few verses of encouragement. These, these nine things, I, and I could go on and on, there's more, but these things are, are things that I chased through um, personally as we tried to say, God, what do you have? You know, we, there, was, there was quite a few churches that we were candidating in, and they were good churches. They, were, they, they looked great and, and and we loved them, and we met them, and we candidated, and we preached and stuff. But why Riverbend? This is what we had to go through. We had to look at each and every one of these aspects in our life to understand where God was leading us. And I share those with you because these are things we still practice to this day. Our family's in huge transitions, you know. Got a son getting married. That's a great one. The beautiful gal here in this church. Two sons off to the military. One playing professional baseball. They're scattered all over the country. I mean, we're saying goodbye to kids not knowing when we're going to see them next. Lord, your will be done. We're committed to you. You'll keep our children. You'll, you'll care for them. You'll help us through the times of loneliness and the times we miss them. Because we love you and we're devoted to your will. That strengthens you as you go through this process. Finally, the joy of the gospel that creates blamelessness and gives us the righteousness of Christ. Look at these last two verses just quickly and we'll close. Verse 10, so that you may prove the things that are excellent. That's what we're after, right? The excellent will of God. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Literally, verse 10 says, 
I determine the things of truth, the things that matter, the gospel, in order to be blameless and pure when Jesus shows up. I want to I follow you. And when you show up, I want to be found faithful, not by my own strength or by my own might, but because you have empowered me to do that. And then he finds us with the filled with the fruit of righteousness in verse 11. And notice it comes through Jesus Christ. Friend, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get his righteousness. And we're dressed in his robes. And when he shows up, he finds us that way. And it's to the praise of his glory and praise. Oh, the will of God is not easy to find when you live in sin. When you are not content. But when you start to submit to him and worship him and, and gather your thoughts each and every day around the gospel and what your life is about, God begins to reveal those truths to you. And I promise that these things and many other things that you'll follow in the word of God will lead you to the center of his will. Not to the left or the right, but they'll lead you to the center of his will. And I praise God that's what he did with our family. And it's a joy to share that with you. And I hope it encourages you today to bend your knee to Jesus. Think about the gospel. Praise him when you awake tomorrow morning that he saved your soul. And he'll take you from there. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder that you love us and you have a plan for us. We thank you that you have, have a will that doesn't need to change. We have to change our plans all the time. We, we're always changing. We're always moving more to be conformed into your likeness. But, but Lord, you have, you have no need of change. You're immutable. You're perfect in all of your ways, Lord. So, Father, I pray that this morning we would be reminded that we line our affairs up underneath you. We submit to you, Lord, and you will direct our paths. That's what the promises of the Word of God. So I pray that we would, we would line everything up under you. Father, if there's those here that say, I don't even know who God is. I don't have a relationship. And I pray, Lord, open their hearts. Flood them with a knowledge of a Savior who can take away every sin, all sins, and wipe them away. I pray you do that for your glory, Lord. For those of us that know you in this room and have a personal relationship with you, God, may we be challenged to have a, a, preach the joyful gospel to ourselves every day. To be reminded of the great truths that you have accomplished for us. Lord, let us not have short-term memories, Lord. May we remind ourselves day in and day out that we belong to you now. We're in your family. You're our master, our father. You're, you're the one who is our Lord. And may you lead and guide and direct each step, Lord. Lord, we praise you for this time. Thank you for your word that it pierces our hearts each and every time we study it together, Lord. May the blessings go to you and all the glory do your name. In Jesus' name. Amen.